welcome to the Flying Solo Podcast, a show for those going it alone in business. If you're working solo or have dreams of starting up, you'll find support, inspiration and advice at Australia's largest and liveliest small business community. Find us at flyingsolo.com.au or join us on Facebook. Here's your host, Robert Gerrish. Yes, Robert Gerrish here, founder of Flying Solo, co-author of the bestseller of the same name, and author of The One Minute Commute, my latest book published by Pan Macmillan and available in all good bookshops online and as an audiobook courtesy of audible.com. Yikes, six hours of me droning on. Anyway, that's enough about The One Minute Commute. Before I tell you about this show, a quick plug for Flying Solo's premium membership that has a mass of tools and benefits to help your business stand out and to ensure you stay at the top of your game. As part of membership, you get a full-page listing in the directory, entry to a private discussion group, access to a library of over 80 how-to videos, a copy of the Flying Solo book, and much more, all for just $99. Head to the join page to find out more. Now, this episode is a recording of a panel discussion from the recent Flying Solo live event in Melbourne. The title of the panel discussion was Digital Marketing Essentials, and the members of the panel were Katie Jeans, Jeremy Hunt, and Dave Chaffee. We start just as the panel have taken their seats on the stage, and I introduce them one by one. Katie Jeans at the far end, Head of Product at Pinstripe Media. Thank you for joining us, Katie. So Katie Jeans is a senior digital marketer who specializes in paid media and marketing analytics at Pinstripe Media, uh, an Australian media company that I'm sure we know with a dedicated focus on small business startups and personal finance with around 2 million monthly users across its brands and media platforms. So that's pretty huge. Now, Katie has also taught digital marketing at General Assembly and the University of Sydney and runs, or do you still run two startups of your own? Yeah, past life. Past life, yep. okay. has started a couple of businesses anyway. Katie was recognized by American Express recently as one of the top 45 emerging innovators in North America. So you hail from Canada, but we're now lucky to have you living in Australia, correct? Great, thanks for joining us. So please welcome Katie Jeans. Okay, next to Katie, Jeremy Hunt. So Jeremy uh, is director of Healthmore. Thanks for joining us, Jeremy. Uh, a leading Australian cross-border e-commerce distribution company taking health and wellness brands to China. So there's that China theme again. A key player in Australia's cross-border trade, Jeremy has guided many local brands to successfully connect with Chinese consumers, navigating them through the multiple layers of sales, marketing, and distribution. He's also held senior marketing roles with Swiss, Maya, and Ogilvy. Thank you for joining us. Thanks. So I'm guessing that a whole lot of what Catherine was saying would be very familiar territory for you. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Okay, good, we'll get into that. And finally, Dave Chaffee, Managing Director of KBB Digital. He's an entrepreneur and a digital marketing specialist. He's telling me about how he works in his business with his son, which I can't imagine doing with my son, but (laughs) enough of my problems. Um, Dave's digital marketing agency helps small businesses grow. Dave is the resident internet expert on Channel 7's Koshi's Business Builders. Thanks for joining us, Dave. Shall we? Right. 
So look, I have some questions, and then we're going to throw it. We have some roving mics. Where are my roving mic people? There they are. So uh, if you have questions, um, please raise your hand. And if I could ask uh, Peter and Katie, is it, to be upstanding and keep an eye out for um, people with their hands. So look, where I thought we might start uh, on this uh, kind of digital marketing uh, panel is what's the, very, what's the one piece of digital marketing, and we ask each of you this, that you simply wouldn't stop? If you had to stop everything but one, what's the one thing you wouldn't stop, Katie? Um, I think for me, probably analytics. And just Say again, sorry? Google Analytics. Okay. Just being able to track right. everything because then you can figure out what's working. Okay, so the one thing you wouldn't stop is keeping a very close eye on what's happening. Yeah, watching all the data. Okay, so you're a data watcher. Okay, <laughs> interesting. Uh, Jeremy, what about yourself? What's the one thing you wouldn't stop? Uh, it would be a, a China app called... WeChat, WeChat. Uh, where okay. there are uh, just over one billion monthly active users, um, and the average user in China spends four hours a day doing business, paying for goods, researching goods, and sharing their stories and thoughts. So, so is it monitoring WeChat, or it's actively participating in it? It, it is both of those, both of those. and th as Catherine rightly pointed out, it's, it's learning how the users interact with this app that's now turning into an e-com platform. Um, so it's, it is, as we, it's a wrong analogy, but you've got Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp, and Snapchat, and people say it's like those combined, and it kind of is, but it's just so much more because of the engagement that it has with the Chinese consumer. Mm, okay. So anybody in the audience who's thinking, okay, you know, maybe they've, they've heard what Catherine's saying, they're going, right, I'm, I'm, I'm going for China. I'll be pumped up too after yeah. um, Catherine's presentation. <laughs> but so they'd, they'd start by what? By looking at WeChat. What, what would we, uh, if we'd, clearly with, with sort of language issues, what would we get from WeChat if, if we kind of dived into it, what, what do we see and how easy is it to kind of get your head across um, it? It's immediate. So when you engage with, let's just say, an influencer um, on WeChat, you know immediately if people are reposting, are sharing, are liking, and they just don't hold back with commentary. Um, so it's the immediacy of it. Right. It's the ability to share um, the private networks and the personal references hold such a strong um, impetus in China versus traditional paid media. Okay. So you want to engage in someone who can post to their network because that's the referral and the trust yep. um, that, that we tap into. Okay, so if we're going for China, we need to get all, across, all over WeChat from yep. what you're saying. Okay, fine. Uh, Dave, if you can remember my question, what's the one thing you wouldn't stop doing? Well, my skincare range that I'm bringing out now, thanks, Catherine. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I, I want to bring it back to, at the moment, uh, uh, back to web, just back to a website, because all of us here um, have businesses, and, and by and large, we have websites, and they represent the business. And, and the thing that, that I think is more important than anything is making sure that your website is meeting the, sort of the minimum expectation of your customers. And that's, that's one of those things that's really easy to, let, to, to lose. So, you know, you've, you've got your website, you're really happy with it. But then, you know, if you look at the analytics, as, as Katie said, you might find that 60, 70, 80% of your audience is actually meeting your website on a mobile device. And, and does your website actually meet the needs or the minimum expectations of your customers? Because 
Your customers now expect to be able to transact with you 24 hours a day and get any bit of information they can. And, and this is what you've got to be thinking whenever you're, you're presenting yourself through online. Okay. Just a quick show of hands in the audience. Who has a website that they know could be just a little bit better? Okay. Interesting. A lot of us, uh, I include myself in that, uh, often the case. We have it, but we don't do enough with it. Okay. I'm going to move around. I'm going to ask another question, uh, a particular one to each of you, and then we'll, we'll throw it open because I'm sure we've got some here. So, Katie, you do a lot of work um, in the area of kind of paid media, you know, paying for eyeballs, if you like. Um, and there's a lot of that going on. It seems that if we want to show up clearly on Facebook now, we've got to give Mr. Zuckerberg and his mates a bit of money. It seems to be kind of everywhere. Yes. So what's your take on kind of organic versus free? You know, can we, going forwards, can we still expect that we're going to be able to grow our profiles using organic and free, or have we got to get our credit cards out? Good question. Um, the short answer is no. Um, the short answer is no. It's not dead? Uh, is no, you have to pay to play. Um, but the longer answer is that they work together. So um, I like to think of paid media as this like little magical black box where you put $10 in and $100 comes out, um, hopefully. But um, with that, it's really hard to tell, even being a, an analytics nerd, it's really hard to tell what one specific thing is, is making you money when it comes to marketing because it's a whole ecosystem. So someone might see your Instagram ad that's never heard of you and then they'll go to your Instagram profile and then they'll go to your Facebook page and then okay. they'll Google you. So you're saying that, yes, we are going to need to get our credit card out, yes. but you're saying it's, uh, it's two things. It's not all that way or all free and organic. We've got to increasingly be across both sides. Is that yeah, what you're I'm saying? saying it's an investment and you're either going to invest time or money. And for me, it's faster and I get more immediate results when I'm investing money. Um, yeah. Because if I put an hourly rate to my life, okay. then it's more effective that okay. way. Another quick show of hands. Who has paid for advertising online? Okay, so a good number. Great okay. job, guys. Okay, good. All right, thank you. Uh, Jeremy. We, you know, we talk freely and glibly here, and we say we're all going to, you know, we know Dave's now going to launch his own skincare range. <laughs> Good luck with that. Um, uh, into China, and you know, we make it sound very easy, and uh, I'm sure it isn't. Can we get? I mean, Catherine uh, clearly has a number of things that really work brilliantly for Catherine. She's clearly, you know, very skilled at doing what she's doing. But can, as a small brand, one of us sitting here. Can we get good reach and distribution into China without having to kind of sell the house? Well, uh, as we saw the truth photo with Catherine, um, that's the we, we see the the pretty pictures. And as a um, Lee Juning, who heads up Koala here, which is a platform, um, said last week, he's sick of seeing brands just want the cream. Um, and they're brands that think that China can just deliver them these massive results without the investment, without the multi-platform understanding, without engaging in the KOLs, without going to the trade shows, without selecting platform partners, without selecting distribution partners. Um, we, we hear about uh, the Lucas Pawpaw or the Swiss or the Blackmores um, that are selling enormous amounts of products in China, and they are, but these are also brands that have been around over 50 years Blackmore's 86 years, Lucas Pawpaw over 100 years, Swiss uh, 1972, I think it started. 
So they've built a brand in Australia, in their country, through slogging it out with retailer terms, with co-op, with distribution agreements, with traditional marketing. And they build the authenticity of a brand that are ultimately, ultimately building a launch pad for when you do want to enter another market. Mm -hmm. So you can show all the reference points, as, as Catherine had, all the different reference points of media clippings, of retailer range distribution photos. That gives people in another country a level of assurance and confidence that you have a genuine product that is used by people in your hometown. Um, now, notwithstanding, you can still enter the market without doing all of those things. And we're in an age now where the Alibabas and the JDs and the VIPs and the Xiaohongshus of the world allow you to post your product either as a diary entry or as a on another page, like Australia Post have a page on a site called Tmall. So you can approach Australia Post to be on their retailer store, it's called a flagship store, um, without having any other agreement with Australia Post. And that will give your product, a brand, an opportunity to be exposed to viewers that go to that site. Um, and are we going to be, are we seeing more of that? Is it, uh, is it going to get easier for us to to just to kind of plug into existing platforms in that way. It is going to get easier. The, uh, Alibaba are having a trade show here uh, in October 20 or in Sydney um, September 21 that will allow you to expose your brand to Chinese online traders. So there's 7,000 of each going to the shows that are Daigo or Taobao merchants that they are buying and selling your product here and sending it back overseas using WeChat or other platforms. And the Taobao merchants run online retail stores. Some of them are you know, turning over two and a half million bucks a week, two and a half million dollars Australian a week in China that are running a store from Australia that you, would, you just wouldn't even know about. So these are expos where Alibaba and others are coming here looking for products. That's right. They're not coming here to sell us stuff, they're coming here to look to things to take home. They're giving us, Australian and New Zealand brands, an opportunity to set up a, a booth or be part of a multi-booth. Right. So the audience, who are the buyers, um, for want of a better word, have you show of hands, anyone heard of the term Daigo? Um, so uh, their personal, uh, the most general term, a personal shopper, but basically they're buying a product that they see on the shelf of Coles, Woolies, Ken Warehouse, or a Chinese gift store, and they're sending it back, adding a margin to it, and selling it to Chinese consumers. Got you. And the word again was Daigo? D-A-I-G-O-U. Okay. Is the pinion for Daigo. Okay. Yeah. So these, I've read, I've read about this. So these, these people exist, obviously. About 100,000 in Australia. Okay. Fine. From you, from How do we find them? Do we Google and they all pop <laughs> is, up? Is anyone in the room a Daigo or have been a Daigo before? Come on, you can admit it. Yeah. You can act yourself. No. Uh, okay. Does anyone in the room have WeChat on their phones? Yeah. A few. Yeah, a, few. a few. Okay. okay. Yeah. All right, so they're there. We, it sounds like we need to talk to you in the coffee break to find out how we get hold of them. But very interesting that those expos are coming here. Good place for us to put our products in front of people. I thought Catherine's point as well was so interesting where she's saying for some businesses, you know, maybe it should just be outside of Australia, not even think about Australia. Don't get distracted. So I thought that was an interesting point that she made.
Yes. Yeah, okay. Look, at this point, what we might do, can, I, can we have some questions from the audience, please? So if you've got a question, please raise your hand. We have roving mic people walk around. Anything that you have to do with this whole issue of, of online marketing, not just um, moving overseas, but if you've got any questions, now's the time. We have a gentleman at the back with his hand up, Peter. Uh, any other hands and we'll get to you after? Okay, I know you need more caffeine before you ask questions. <laughs> what I, I usually find with panel discussions is right at the end is Robert. when everyone suddenly goes crazy. Katie, gentleman out the back here. Thank you. <laughs> Peter, sir, your question. Uh, good morning and, and thanks for the conversation so far. My name's Robert Heaton. Uh, I run a consulting business where most of my clients will be uh, professional business people, CEOs. Can the panel comment on, uh, most of the commentary we've heard so far is about attracting you know, the everyday consumer. Can the panel comment on how you would go about attracting professional B2B business leaders? Okay, so you want to get hold of um, kind of C-suite people to raise your profile and that you, you supply support services to that audience? If, if I, uh, I don't know how many other people in the audience are similar, but my typical target company would be, uh, let's say, 10 million to 500 million, uh, and both Australian and international. Okay. Dave, do you want to take the, you're a, yeah, you're a man who's all over LinkedIn and other places. What, yeah, what would absolutely. You, sorry, your name, sir, again was? Robert. I shouldn't remember that. Similar <laughs> to mine. Okay. Sorry, Dave. Robert, there's, um, there's probably two angles that, that come to mind. Uh, just, um, and one is, is you getting in front of these people. Uh, and the other one is you getting in front of these businesses because it's not necessarily the CEOs who are making the decisions. Um, but first and foremost, getting in front of these people, LinkedIn is probably your best bet by a long way, I would think. Um, for those of you who, who haven't looked at LinkedIn for a long time, LinkedIn was a... I'm going to say it was a bit of a junk market about two years ago. It really a bit of a what? A, a junk market. It didn't oh. function. It was, it, was a, just, it was a website that didn't do well. And they changed the format to something much akin to Facebook around about two years ago, and it really took off, and it really has taken off. Mm. And there is a lot of activity that's taking place there now, like a lot. And um, I'm meeting people just on a daily basis by just seeing their content come up time and time again. Now, if you want to go to the extent of, of advertising through something like LinkedIn, you can, you can set your advertising to just show to people who put their uh, title down as CEO or managing director or that sort of stuff, which is, which is an amazing situation that you can advertise on that basis. Of course, you'll pay through the nose because people like me are also advertising to people who are CEOs and managing directors. Um, but it's a great opportunity, and, and I think that's a fantastic one, to build a profile in front of people that, that really are your target audience. Uh, the other one I want to throw out, though, is that uh, you know, it may not be the CEOs who are making the decisions. And so that's where, where Google might have a play here too. Now, we know that a lot of people these days are using Google in a different way to how they, they used to. Google, um, years ago, we all know when we first went on the net, we might type in consultant and that might be the end of it. But now the, the way the consumers are going is we're using longer and longer term search phrases. So I don't know your business, but I'll just, uh, I'll just take a punt here and uh, people who are likely to use your business might be typing in uh, consultant available in Melbourne to give advice on um, drainage and sewers. Sorry to put you in that boat. That's what you do now. Um, <laughs> I think you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but they'll be typing in long tail terms. And we know that people who type in search phrases into Google that are two or three words long, they are just in that sort of flighty, let's look around and get a bit of a feel for things, but people who are using search phrases that are five, six, seven words long, they're in the purchase phase. They're they in the I need it right now. And that's something to think about when you're advertising on 
Google AdWords, or when you're writing blogs to try to come up with search engines. So people are writing blogs are seeing a bit of a resurgence at the moment mm. because they are bringing up more searches in that six to seven search phrase term that people are actually using to, uh, to purchase. Okay. So. Dave, thank you. Katie, Jeremy, anything to add there? Get yeah, me in I'll, front of very big businesses. Um, Robert, what, what business are you in? M&A. M&A. Okay, cool. That was the question. Um, so for us, we at, at Pinstripe, we do a similar um, kind of like client hunting, if you will, where we go after like the nabs and the Googles and like the big ones. Um, and what we have found to be very successful for us is that we tend to give them something for free. So like Dave was mentioning, we use LinkedIn and we connect with not necessarily the CEOs, but just somebody in that company, um, CEOs if we can. Thanks to, you know, Kashi. Um, but what we do is we'll create some sort of white paper or something that is answering the question of that um, CEO or, or whatever your, your customer avatar is. It either fixes a problem or answers a question that they have, and it's like a little taste test for them, like at an ice cream shop, to get a feel for who we are, what we do, and kind of, in a very gentle way, show or highlight our expertise. So I'm not sure if you've already done white papers or webinars or anything okay. like that, but that's a really, or for us, has been a really effective way to get in front of those decision makers. Okay, thank yeah. you. Jeremy, I'm going to hold you there for a second. Thank you, Katie. Robert, I hope that helped. I'm going to keep moving. Katie, you have a question for us. Hi, Anton here from the Equipment Library. Um, you were talking about paid advertising. Keyword research. I am looking into it and just finding it a minefield. We're in service. <laughs> Our target market is people who hike and camp. Could you give me some feedback on what I should uh, be yep. thinking about with my keyword research? People who hire a cab? Hire and people who hire things to go hiking and camping. Oh, so camping. our hiking target and words are hiking hire, and camping. Got camping, it. hiking. Okay, so keyword, welcome to the minefield, first of all. That's like across the board. Um, but I think we use a lot of, um, Google AdWords has um, a sort of keyword research tool. We use that a lot. There's also other keyword research tools you can use. One's called Screaming Frog. Um, Moz, M-O-Z, is another SEO software that we use just to figure out what people are searching. Um, when, so Dave mentioned earlier kind of this idea of a sales funnel within search. Um, at each level, the, the folk, your customers will be using different terms um, as for, for what they're searching based on how far down the sales funnel they are. So um, if they're just searching camping and hiking, I probably wouldn't bid um, on those keywords just because they're so broad. Um, but if you have product categories or specific products, um, bidding on those ones we'll probably get folks that are quite far down in the search funnel or in the sales funnel. But what we have a lot of luck with, um, or in a, Robert sort of mentioned my past life um, with my own businesses, but in e-commerce, we had a lot of luck with sort of middle of the funnel. So people that are looking for, um, they're researching trips that they want to go on before they buy the gear. And having um, uh, Facebook ads or um, Google AdWords or anything in that sort of middle section where they know where they want to go, 
but they don't know exactly what they need yet, that was a really good opportunity for us to kind of get in front of them at that phase and then sort of nurture those um, future customers and build that um, brand relationship like Jeremy was talking about um, before they're ready to buy. So when they are ready to buy, you don't even have to bid on those high value terms because they already know they're going to buy from your company because they like you, they trust you, um, and they believe that your product is the best. Okay, so Katie, might you also be able to talk further with Anton at the break if, if he wants to yeah, chat with you yeah, further? Yeah, definitely. Okay, do we have other questions in the room? Where's Peter? I've lost Peter. Uh, up the back and at the front here. So at the back. Katie, lady down the front here. So, sir, at the back. Hi, good morning. Uh, first of all, thank you so far. It's really great content uh, leading off from, from Catherine's presentation. I've got a question uh, primarily, I, I guess, for Dave, and it's following on from what Robert in the audience was, was asking earlier. I'm also in a, in a B2B business. I've got a, a shopper research and, and strategy consultancy. Um, and I wanted to ask Dave about the content on one's website. So I've been through this journey where I had an absolutely shocking looking website, got it redesigned, and then I needed to kind of look at SEO, and I've got what I believe are de you know, good listings on the first pages, perhaps even number one, number two below paid search when it comes to uh, my search engine listings for what I believe are the right terms. Uh, that may require a little bit of work, but what I wanted to focus on was the content. So B2B, um, my, my clients are typically heads of shopper insights, heads of shopper marketing, marketing directors, that kind of profile, head of category. Um, what would your advice be in terms of getting the right content in front of the, these people when they come to your website? The criticism I've received is that don't write content that's all about yourself. Okay. Yeah, um, that's a really good question in terms of writing content for a B2B audience. Um, I think we take things a couple of different ways here. We tend to not look at the homepage as, as an important page anymore. We tend to look at the homepage as the sort of page that only your current customers or people who already know you will come through. So we tend to put that one aside on its own. Um, when you think about potential new customers, people who have never worked with you before, they, they have no indication of what you're like, it's probably more important with that, that first page, the entry page, whichever page that is, to create a strong first impression of your brand and what you put forward. So we actually go out of our way on some of these entry pages to create a very strong impression visually and have minimal content on there. So a very strong impression, that's, that's, this is what we do, this is how we go about it, not necessarily answering that question, but making sure that the second page, as quickly as possible, can answer whatever question the person has come back for. The challenge that you have at the moment is that um, you know, half your traffic is coming from a mobile phone and half is coming from a desktop or a tablet and knowing which is which and knowing that on a desktop device people could have a, a, a volume of content in front of them and that works quite well but on a mobile phone presenting me with a volume of content is a sort of a lost cause and that's why this sort of the current strategy is that, that strong visual and then flip to content that answers the question. A very, very, very important part of B2B, though, is making sure you've got trust signals on the site. And trust signals are anything that sort of strengthens the position that you're putting forward. So if you're putting forward the position that we are the best at what we do in Melbourne, well, then I want to see some signals of that. I want to see that you've spoken at the Chamber of Commerce or you've won an award or that you're, you, you actually have a, a you know, qualification. And you, they don't have to be big chunks of content. They can just be that little 
image or symbol that says supported by or part of the network. Strong first impression, answer the question and have trust signals is probably about three quarters of it from my point of view. Okay, terrific. Jeremy, do you have anything to add into that one? I know it's not necessarily your core focus, but... Any... No, I'm, I'm learning, learning here because okay. we, uh, our website sucks. <laughs> All right. Um, and uh, we, we only... Have a chat with the guy next to you in the break. Oh, okay. uh, we're just as good at doing sucky ones too. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, just while we're on that, thank you very much for that question. Uh, we have a number uh, of copywriters in the room. So just hold mm. your hand up, lovely copywriting people. Come on, there's a lot of you here. Yes. So Sarah at the back of the room, look around. A lot of people here would be very happy to speak with you and, uh, and help you with your, with your project. So thank you. Lady in the second row, yes. Oh, hi. Uh, my name is Linda. I, um, similar to that question, it was around content. I really suck at it too. Like, okay. I really suck at it. I have tried many versions of it, and with my Facebook advertising, I'm able to get people there, but it just doesn't convert. So my content really... Sucks and it's what's great your, to see. Can I ask what's the nature of your business? What is it you're trying uh, coach, to... Coach, specifically relationship coaching. Relationship coaching, okay. Yeah. And your question is? Uh, my question is, how, how do I overcome the issue of not being able to convert my, my uh, website? Okay, all right. So you're, guess, you're guessing people there, but they're not conversing. Something, yeah, yeah. Okay. With, mm. with advertising and spending money, okay. I can get people there, but right. I'm reluctant to do that because so not unless that it getting, converts, it's yeah, pointless. Sure. But it's not that they're getting through to you, you're having a conversation, and then they don't convert. It's they get to your website, but nothing happens beyond That's that. That's correct, yes. Okay. Who'd like to take that? Katie, come Go. on down. <laughs> um, great question. Very common problem. So you are not alone in that. Um, the thing with copywriting for, for Facebook ads is what you, for Facebook ads is it needs to kind of draw in your exact target audience, but also repel everybody else. Um, I, I feel like we all know this, but just in case for Facebook ads, you only click or you only pay when somebody clicks on your ad generally. Um, so if people are clicking and not buying, then you're just sort of burning money, which sucks. Um, so with the copy, um, what we do at Pinstripe um, is we work really hard on getting to know who our target customer is, who our avatars are, and we you know, take our best guesses, but then with um, organic social media, we try to have as many conversations as possible with potential clients, and then we actually use parts of those conversations in our copy. So if we're getting, um, talking to someone saying, well, what are, you, what are you working on? What are you struggling with? And they'll say, I'm struggling with this. We literally just copy paste that problem into an ad and say, are you struggling with this? And then that seems to resonate better than me trying to imagine what. Okay, so what you're saying is you're, you're very closely observed the questions people are asking you weave the questions they're asking into the marketing that you do. So you're, you're saying that you uh, improve your conversion by just totally and constantly improving your language and using the language that the people are using amongst themselves. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so talking to as many customers as we can, as yep. often as we can, yep. um, and just getting that feedback and then translating that into our ad copy. Yeah, okay, good. So. I hope that helps you. What it could suggest is we... How do you get those conversations? How... Okay. Yeah. Um, just, just through Instagram or through Facebook or any other social channel, um, sometimes through LinkedIn. Um, but if you come, I'll be at the coffee cart so we can chat more. <laughs> but also, I'd just suggest to you that another way you can get those conversations is going to an event like, ooh, Flying Solo Live, going to the <laughs> coffee break and going up to somebody and saying, what are your biggest relationship challenges? 
um, because I'm sure we've all got them to some extent, with some person or... Can with I, just, can I yes. jump? I'd and then we'll take a final question at the back. I yes. want to just jump in really quick there. One, one of the, um, one of the uh, biggest challenges that, that um, small business has is, is you know, trying to capture someone and where do you take them. And we see people either uh, put an ad up on Facebook or ad, whatever it is and take the person to the homepage, which doesn't answer the question. You know, the homepage just says, here I am when the question was, you know, I need that thing done. Or take people through to an information page which is just lots of text which doesn't do the job. And the, and the trick between the two is to create a landing page, which you don't submit to Google, so it's not out there, but it looks like the homepage, but you substitute the words that say, you know, we're a, we're a great company for we do that thing that was specific to that ad. And all of a sudden you're giving that really strong first impression and you're saying, oh look, these guys can really answer my question. And we did that a number of years ago with um, a, a, a question that was, uh, the words we advertised on uh, AdWords were Joomla Expert. Now, Joomla was a type of web platform that builds websites, it still does. And we took the view that the people who would type in Joomla Expert into um, AdWords are people who've broken the website themselves. You know, they've gone and done something and absolutely buggered it up. And that, that's exactly what happened. People who would type in Joomla Expert went, I've buggered this right up. I need a Joomla Expert. It went to a beautiful page that says, we can fix anything in Joomla. And we got maybe four clicks a month at you know, $4 each. So there's $16 spent and three phone calls that were panicky that were willing to spend anything to get it fixed. So, okay, good one. Just some Thank thinking you. like that. Final question at the back of the room, please. Yes. Hi, my name is Sally. I'm at the very beginning of the journey. I'm a small artist and food producer. Uh, and the million dollar question of now got a business page for Facebook and LinkedIn. How do I actually get friends? How do you get friends? How do I get friends? Can you okay. help me? Well, I'm going to ask each panel member now. So here we are. Your business was art and food. Uh, art, artisan food business. Art and food. Uh, artisan, like oh, artisan, artisan food. Artisan food. I'm I forgot I was in Melbourne. I'm terribly sorry. <laughs> okay. Right. Artisan food company. Round the room, each of you, very small. How are we going to get this business out there? Artisan's Food Company. How do we get friends? Wow. Yeah, how do Again. we get friends? Coffee cart. Um, so, oh, okay. A very That's short answer. A very short answer. As in short. Pay for them? No. Um, <laughs> a very short answer. I would say you want to create just small bits of content on Facebook and LinkedIn um, that are very shareable. And by getting those initial shares and getting their friend, friends that you know personally to share with their networks, that'll kind of get you your first sort of okay. 500 So create likes. good shareable content. Yeah, and just ask people, yes. hey, okay. will you like my Facebook page? Okay, Jeremy, how do you get Artisan friends? Artisan foods, I mean, the easiest way would be to get people to eat Sample your it. food. Sample, like you're, you're in something that, well, I love, and I presume everyone else here loves food, so what easier way to influence than to get your samples out to your network, um, whether that's through trade shows, events, or your private social network, and then to have on anything that you send out a QR code that then directs them back to your pages, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, website, they just have to scan it, and then they can start following. Great idea. Is that practical to give samples of your food? Yep. I'll take that as a yes. Okay, perfect. Dave? Uh, from a LinkedIn point of view, um, I, I, about two years ago, I decided I was just going to add lots of people that were sort of in my circle that I sort of felt were about right and you could do the same thing. And I literally just sort of cold called, sent a message um, saying, hey, look, you're in the same industry as me and I've learned something off something you've posted. Let's connect. 
Um, I got about one in every three would connect, the other two would just disappear. And then I added the words, I'm not going to sell you anything or try to market anything to you. Oh, jumps through the roof. So, uh, really? Yeah, people yeah, genuinely did. So people are just quite happy when it's a genuine sort of, look, this is how it is. And um, yeah, uh, worth doing. You'll Excellent. find a lot of people that you wouldn't have connected with all okay. of a sudden. Opens up, opens up doors. Thank you so much. And we hope that helped you and good luck with your business. Uh, so please join me in thanking Katie Jeans, Jeremy Hunt and Dave Chaffee for our first panel. Thank you. And that's where we'll leave this show from Flying Solo and your host, Robert Gerrish. We'd love to receive feedback, even a brief review for those listening via iTunes. If you're planning to start a business or rejuvenate the one you're in, check out our bestseller, Flying Solo, How to Go It Alone in Business. It includes everything we know about working on your own. And of course, we invite you to dive into the resources and supportive community at flyingsolo.com.au.